Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Tonight, I will be reading more Sandman stories from Abby Phillips Walker. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. Princess Cantilla Princess Cantilla lived in a castle like most princesses, but she was not a rich princess, for her father had lost all his lands and money 
by quarreling with other kings about the length and breadth of his kingdom and theirs. So poor little Cantilla had to work just like any common peasant girl and cook the meals for herself and her father. The old castle where Cantilla and her father lived had fallen into decay and only a few rooms at one end were now used so that the bats and owls had taken possession of the towers and once gorgeous halls on the opposite side of the castle where beautiful ladies and courtly gentlemen were once seen in festive pleasures. A kitchen and a bedroom apiece were all the rooms that Cantilla and her father, the old king, used and the furniture was so old it hardly held together. One day, Cantilla was cooking soup for dinner, and as the steam rolled up from the kettle, Cantilla thought she saw a face with a long beard looking at her. She drew her hand across her eyes to make her sight more clear, and the next time she looked, she did see a face, and a form too. A little man with a misshapen back and a long white beard, the ends of which he carried over one arm, stepped from the cover of the boiling pot and hopped to the floor. Princess, he said, bowing low before Cantilla, I am an enchanted goblin. I can give you back your once beautiful home and make your father a rich king again. I can cause all the rooms of the old castle to become new and filled with beautiful hangings and furniture as they were before your father became so poor. Cantilla began to smile at the thought of all the luxury and the comfort the goblin pictured, and she lost sight of his ugly-looking body and face for a minute, but she was brought to her senses by what the goblin next said. All this will I give you, Princess Cantilla, if you will become my wife, he said, taking a step closer to Cantilla. Oh, no, no, I cannot do that, said Cantilla, holding up both hands as if to ward off even the thought of such a thing. Wait, said the goblin. Do not be so hasty, my princess. I will come again for your reply tonight at the fountain in the garden where the honeysuckle grows. Before Cantilla could reply to this, he swung his beard over his head and disappeared in a cloud of what seemed like steam or smoke. Cantilla looked about her and pinched herself to make sure she had not dreamed all she had just seen, and by and by she believed it was a dream, that she must have fallen asleep in her chair by the fire. That night, while she was sleeping, she was awakened by feeling someone touch her on her face. Cantilla had been awakened so many times by the little mice that overran the old castle that she only brushed her face with her hand without opening her eyes and went to sleep again. Cantilla, open your eyes. Open your eyes, she heard someone whisper close to her ear, and again she felt the touch of something on her face. Cantilla opened her eyes and sat up in bed. The room was quite bright, and a beautiful lamp with a pink silk shade gave everything in the room a rose tint. Cantilla was sure she was dreaming, for it was not her old shabby room at all she was looking at. She looked down at the covering of her bed, that was pink silk also. She felt of it and found it was filled with the softest down. She also noticed that she wore a beautiful night robe of pink silk and lace. 
On the floor beside the bed, on a soft pink rug, stood two little satin slippers, trimmed with swan's down. I am dreaming, said Cantilla, but I will enjoy it while it lasts, and she looked about her. The furniture was white and gold, and soft pink rugs covered the floor. Her bed had little gold cupids on each post, and they held in their hands the ends of pink silk that formed a beautiful canopy. Little frills of lace fell from the bottom of the silk, making it look very soft and pretty in the lamplight. On the table beside her bed, which held her lamp, Cantilla saw a big gold and glass bottle. She reached for it and took out the gold stopper. Then she tipped the bottle and bathed her face and hands with the delicious perfume it held. Cantilla put her little feet out of the bed and slipped them into the slippers and walked over to the gold and white dressing table at the other side of the room. Everything was so beautiful, she just looked at first, and then she picked up a gold brush and smoothed her hair. She took up each of the gold articles and saw that on each was the letter C. They must belong to me, said Cantilla. But of course, it is all a dream, as she opened a drawer of a big gold and white chest. What she saw made Cantilla gasp with wonder, for the drawer was filled with beautiful clothes, and as she opened the others, she found they were all filled with silk and lace-trimmed clothes. Cantilla forgot all about her dream and ran, just as though she were awake, to a closet door that was opened. She swung it back and looked. There hung before her astonished gaze pink silk dresses and blue silk dresses and white and dainty green and yellow silk dresses. Now, I did not tell you that Cantilla had black hair which hung in long curls about her pretty face and over her pretty shoulders, and her eyes were as deep blue as the deepest blue of violet. And when she put on one of the pink silk dresses and stepped in front of a long mirror, she forgot all else for a moment. Then suddenly she heard her name called softly. Cantilla. Cantilla, the voice said. Cantilla looked up, and on the top of the mirror stood a little fairy dressed in pink gauze. Oh, you have a pretty pink dress too, said Cantilla, forgetting to be surprised at seeing a fairy in her room. Yes, but it is the only dress I own, said the little creature with a smile while you have a closet full, but then mine never wear out, and yours will. You mean I will wake up in a minute, I suppose, said Cantilla. Yes, I know it is a dream, but I'm having a good time. I wish I could have a dream like this every night. I wouldn't mind being poor through the day. Ah, but you are not dreaming at all, Princess Cantilla, said the fairy, and if you will follow me, I will show you more of your beautiful home. Come along. Cantilla did not answer, but walked after the fairy, who skimmed along before Cantilla like a little pink bird. The fairy touched a door with her wand and it flew open. Cantilla looked about her in wonder for the hall, which had been hung with tatters of faded tapestry, now looked like the hall of a king. The tapestry hung whole and rich-looking upon the walls, which were of deep blue and gold. The old armor that had been broken and covered with dust and mold was erect as though its former wearer was inside it. 
The fairy touched the door of the room where the old king was sleeping, and again Cantilla looked in wonder, for her father slept beneath a canopy of red and gold, upon a bed of gold, and all the furnishings of his room were such as a king would have. Cantilla looked at her father. He was smiling in his sleep, and the careworn look had gone from his face. The fairy beckoned to her, and Cantilla, with one backward glance at her sleeping father, followed. Next, the old dining hall was opened for Cantilla to see. The once faded and torn draperies were whole, and bats and owls were gone from the corners of the room where they had often made their nests. The beautiful table of onyx and silver was covered with dishes of silver, and dainty lace napkins lay beside each place as though ready for the coming guests. But the fairy led her away, and next Cantilla saw the beautiful halls where the old king held his grand balls, and kings and queens and princes and princesses had danced. The lights burned in the gold and glass fixtures fastened to the walls and made the place look like fairyland. The blue curtains, with their edge of priceless lace, hung from the windows, whole and shimmering with richness, and chairs of gold stood upright and bright against the walls, and the floor shone with polish. And so through the whole castle the fairy led the wandering little princess to look at her old ruined home, now beautiful and whole. Then the fairy took Cantilla to the gardens. The once dry fountains were playing in the moonlight, the nightingales could be heard among the roses, and the air was filled with rich perfume. When they reached the lower end of the garden, Cantilla suddenly stopped and stood very still. She was beside a fountain, and honeysuckle grew over an arbor close beside it. Cantilla remembered the words of the goblin she had seen in her dream, and his words, I will come for your reply tonight at the fountain where the honeysuckle grows. The fairy stood on a bush beside her. You remember now, do you not? she asked. You see, it was not a dream this morning, and you are not dreaming now, my princess, but I cannot help you. I have finished my work and must return to my queen. Farewell. Cantilla watched the fairy disappear without uttering a single word. She saw in her mind's eye only the ugly features of the goblin and heard his words. In another minute she saw what looked like a cloud near the honeysuckle arbor, and in another minute the goblin of the morning stood before her with the ends of his long white beard thrown over one arm. I've come, Princess Cantilla, for your answer, said the goblin. Marry me, and all you have seen shall be yours. Cantilla threw out her hands as she had in the morning and started to reply, but the goblin checked her. Before you give your answer, he said, think of your old father and how contented and happy he looked, surrounded by the comforts of his former days of prosperity. Cantilla let her hands fall by her side, her head bent low, and she stood, lost in thought. She saw again her old father in his bed of gold, and the face that looked so happy. Then she raised her head without looking at the ugly creature before her and said, I consent. I will become your wife. I cannot love you, but I will wed you, if that will content you. Follow me, then, said the goblin, throwing his long beard over his head 
and letting it fall over Cantilla as he spoke. Cantilla saw only a fleecy cloud closing all about her, and the next thing she knew she was on a little island in the middle of the deep blue ocean, with a goblin standing beside her. The goblin, with his beard still over one arm, held his hands to his mouth and gave a long, loud call which seemed to descend to the depths of the ocean. Up from the water came an arm and hand holding a twisted shell, and then Cantilla saw a head appear and blow a long, loud blast from the shell. A splashing was heard, and out of the water came an old man in a chariot of mother of pearl. The chariot was drawn by two horses with feet and manes of gold, and in one hand the old man carried a long wand with three prongs at one end. The old man struck the water with the strange-looking wand, and from all over the surface of the water came the sea nymphs and all sorts of monsters and creatures that lived at the bottom of the ocean. But when the mermaids appeared, the old man sent them back quickly and drove his chariot toward Cantilla and the goblin. Cantilla by this time was beyond being frightened or surprised, and she stood beside the goblin waiting for the next thing to happen. My lord Neptune, said the goblin, bowing low as the old man drove close to the island on which Cantilla and the goblin stood. I have come with my princess for you to perform the ceremony. She has consented to become my wife. What? cried the old man in an angry voice. Do you mean you have found a princess who will consent to have such a husband as you are, ugly and misshapen wretch? Answer him, my princess, said the goblin. Tell my lord Neptune you consent to marry me. I do consent to marry the goblin, Cantilla managed to say. And again the old man struck the water, this time in anger, and the water spouted about them like huge fountains, throwing up rivers. Cantilla felt the goblin take her hand, and he said, Fear not, my princess, it will soon be over. In a few minutes the water was calm again, and the old man in the chariot stood a little way off, surrounded by the nymphs and other creatures, holding the three-pronged wand high over his head. I release you, you are wed, be gone from my sight, said the old man. And as the trumpet-bearer sounded his loud call, the old man and his chariot passed into the deep water, followed by all his nymphs and the others. Cantilla looked toward the goblin, wondering if ever anyone had such a strange wedding. But to her surprise he was gone, and by her side stood a handsome man who said, My princess, behold in me your husband. I am free from the spell of the old man of the sea, who wanted me to become a sea monster and live under the ocean. I was changed into the shape of the ugly goblin because I would not marry a mermaid who happened to fall in love with me one day while I was bathing, and she called upon a sea witch to change me into a sea monster. But I escaped before I took on the sea shape, but not before I was changed into the ugly goblin you saw this morning. A kind fairy interceded with her queen to save me, and she went to the old man, who is Neptune, the god of the waters. He told the queen, if I could find a princess who would consent to marry me, he would release me from the spell the sea witch had cast over me. You know how that was accomplished, my princess, 
And if you think you can accept me in place of the goblin for your husband, we will return to the castle where your father is still sleeping, I expect. For the fairy queen said she would watch until sunrise for our return. Cantilla, no longer looking sad, but smiling and happy, put her hand in her husband's and told him she was the happiest girl in the whole world. And I am the happiest man in the world, said her husband, for I not only am freed from the spell of the sea witch, but I have won the one woman in the world I could ever love for my wife. Three times he clapped his hands together, and the little fairy in the pink gauze dress appeared. The queen sends her love to you and this message. Bless you, my children. And now I will take you home to the castle. She touched the princess and her husband on the cheek with her wand, and Cantilla found herself back in the castle garden by the fountain and honeysuckle arbor with her handsome husband standing by her side. Come, my dear, we must go in to breakfast, said her husband. Your father will be waiting for us. How will we explain about our wedding and the changed appearance of the castle? asked Cantilla. Oh, the fairy queen has arranged all that, said Cantilla's husband. Your father will not remember he ever lost his fortune. He will ask no questions. Cantilla and her husband went hand in hand into the castle to their breakfast. And from that day, Cantilla never knew another sorrow or unhappy moment. The Gingerbread Rock Once there lived near a forest a little boy named Hans and his sister, whose name was Elizabeth. Their parents had died when they were tiny, and their uncle had taken them because he thought they could do all the work and so save the money he would have to pay for a servant. But this uncle was a miser and gave Hans and Lisbeth very little to eat, so very little that often they went to bed very hungry. One night, when they were more hungry than usual, for they had worked hard all day, Hans whispered from his cot in one corner of the room, Lisbeth, let us get up and go into the woods. It is a bright moonlight, and we may be able to find some berries. I'm so hungry, I cannot go to sleep. So out of the house they went, making sure their uncle was sound asleep, and soon they were running along the path through the woods. Suddenly, Hans stopped and drew Lisbeth back from the tree. Look, he said in a whisper, there is smoke coming from the side of that great rock. Lisbeth looked, and sure enough, a tiny curling smoke was coming from a little opening in the rock. Very cautiously, the children crept up to the rock, and Hans stood on tiptoe and sniffed at the smoke. It is a pipe, he whispered into Lisbeth's ear. Someone is inside the rock, smoking. No one could live inside a rock, said Lisbeth, creeping closer and standing on a stone that she too might sniff at the curling smoke. Lisbeth became curious when she discovered it was the smoke from a pipe. You could boost me, Hans, she said, and I could peep in and see if someone is inside. Hans told her he did not think it was nice to peek. Elizabeth told him it was very different from peeking into a house, and so he boosted her, for he was just as curious as his sister. 
Elizabeth grasped the edge of the opening in the big rock with both her little hands. When, to the surprise of both children, it crumbled, Elizabeth lost her balance. Over went both of them on the soft moss, and when they sat up, Elizabeth held something in both of her hands. It's cake, she said, with wide open eyes. No, it's gingerbread, she corrected as she tasted it. And sure enough, it was gingerbread. The rock, instead of being stone, was all gingerbread. Hans and Lisbeth forgot the smoke and their curiosity in the joy of their discovery, and soon both of them were eating as fast as they could big pieces of the gingerbread rock. Hans and Lisbeth were not greedy children, so when they had satisfied their hunger, they ran off home without taking even a piece of the gingerbread with them for the next day. They were soon in bed and asleep, and if each had not told the other the same story the next morning, they would have been sure they had dreamed it all. The next night, they were hungry, as usual, and when the moon was well up in the sky, out they crept again and ran into the woods. But this time, there was no curling smoke to guide them, and they tried several rocks before they found the gingerbread. For strange to say, the place they had broken away did not show at all, and there were so many rocks the children could not find it. But at last, Hans cried out with joy. Here it is, Lisbeth, and held up a big piece of gingerbread he had broken off. Lisbeth, in her hurry to get a piece, broke off much more than she intended, and to the surprise of both children, a big opening was made, large enough for them to step through. Perhaps we may find out where the smoke came from, said Lisbeth, suddenly remembering the smoke they had seen the night before. Eating as they went, both of them stepped inside the rock and walked into a big room where, by the table, sat an old man asleep. His eyes had tumbled off his nose, and the pipe he had been smoking was on the floor beside him, where it had tumbled. His lamp had gone out, and his paper had slipped from his hand. Lisbeth and Hans looked at him, and then at the gingerbread they held. It is his house, said Hans, and we're eating it up. What shall we do? asked Lisbeth, looking very much frightened. Better wake him up and tell him, said Hans and perhaps he will let us bake some more and mend the place we have broken. I'll pick up his paper and pipe and brush up the ashes, said tidy little Elizabeth, and you light his lamp, and perhaps he will forgive us when we tell him we did not know it was his house we were eating. But instead of being cross when he awoke, the old man smiled at them and asked, Did you eat all you wanted of the gingerbread? Hans told him they were very sorry, and that they did not know anyone lived inside when they ate the gingerbread. We will bake you some more and patch the place we made, said Lisbeth. Right through that door you will find the kitchen, said the old man. Run along if you like and bake it. And such a kitchen as Hans and Lisbeth found, for Hans went along, you may be sure, to fix the fire for his sister. The shelves and cupboards were filled with flour and butter and eggs and milk and cream and meat and pies, cookies, puddings, but no gingerbread. We will get breakfast first for the man, said Lisbeth, for I'm sure he must be hungry and it is growing light. 
Look out the window. To Hans's surprise, there was a window. Then he saw a door, and when he looked out, he found they were in a pretty white house with green blinds and not a rock, as he had supposed. Hans and Lisbeth became so interested in cooking, they quite forgot their own home, or the unkind uncle who almost starved them, and when the breakfast was ready, they put it on the table beside the old man. Thought you would like your breakfast, explained Lisbeth, and now we will make the gingerbread and repair your house. After breakfast, you may, if you like, said the old man, but first, both of you must eat with me. My how Hans and Lisbeth did eat, for while Lisbeth had cooked only ham and eggs enough for the old man's breakfast, there seemed to be quite enough for them all. And while they were eating, you will see what the miser uncle was doing, for he had called the children at break of day, and they were not to be found. It happened that the ground was damp, and the uncle saw the prints of their feet from the door to the road, and along the road to the path in the woods, and then the soft leaves and moss did not show where they went. Thinking they had run away and gone into the woods, their uncle hurried along, calling their names at the top of his voice. As he came near the gingerbread rock, the children heard him and began to tremble. It is uncle, said Hans. He will be very angry because we have not done our work. Sit still, said the old man, as the children started to leave the table, and taking his pipe, the old man sat down under a little opening like a tiny window and began to smoke. Soon the children could hear their uncle climbing up outside and they knew he'd seen the smoke just as they had the night before and was trying to look in. Then they heard him tumble just as Lisbeth had when the gingerbread rock broke off in her hands and they knew he had discovered it was good to eat for all was still for a few minutes. Nothing was heard again for a long time, and then the sound of someone breaking off big pieces was heard, and when Hans and Lisbeth climbed up, as the old man told them to, and looked out of the window, they saw their uncle with a shovel and a wheelbarrow. He was breaking off big pieces of gingerbread and filling the barrow as fast as he could, but when he had filled it, he could not move it, for it was no longer gingerbread, but stone he had to carry. The old man motioned to the children to keep quiet, and he opened a door they had not noticed and went out. Just what he said the children never knew, but they soon found out that instead of being poor, as they had thought, their miser uncle had taken all the silver and gold their parents had left and hidden it in his cellar under the stones. The miser uncle disappeared and was never seen again, and the old man, who was really a wizard, told them where to go and what to do with their wealth. So they were happy ever after. Of course, they never forgot the gingerbread rock or the kind old man. But because he was a wizard, they knew they would never see him again. For fairies and witches and wizards are all enchanted and disappear in a very strange manner. Our good fortune came to us because we tried to be kind to the old man, I'm sure, said Hans one day when they were talking about the gingerbread rock? Yes, and because we wanted to repair the damage we had done, he knew we did not mean to do any harm, said Lisbeth. But I shall never eat gingerbread again without thinking of him. Nor I, said Hans.
Why Rabbits Have Short Tails Bunny Rabbit was sitting in his yard one day, thinking very hard, when his grandfather came along. Are you so quiet and sober, grandson? he inquired. I'm wondering, grandfather, said Bunny, why we have such long ears and so short a tail. I should think it would be much better if it were just the other way around. Of course, of course, said Grandfather Rabbit, bobbing his ears back and forth. We all think we could have made a better rabbit if we had been consulted. But let me tell you why your tail is short and your ears are long, and then you will learn you are better off now than was your great-grandfather's great-grandfather, who had a long tail and short ears. It did not take Bunny Rabbit long to find a nice, soft seat for his grandfather and to sit close and very still, with his ears sticking up to listen, for he dearly loved the stories his grandfather told. Once upon a time, began Grandfather Rabbit, just as all grandfathers begin a story, a long, long time ago, there lived in some woods a rabbit. He had a long tail and short ears, just as all the rabbits in those days had. One day, he ran over the hill to the garden where Mr. Man lived. He should have been very careful, but he wasn't. And when he was crawling under the rail fence around the garden, didn't see Mr. Dog see him, and began to bark and chase short ears, as he was called. Short ears was a good runner, and it was lucky he was, or there would have been an end to the story right here. Through the garden he ran under cover of the vegetable leaves, and when he got out, he was a good bit ahead of Mr. Dog. Over the field they ran, and under the stone wall went short ears, and over it went Mr. Dog. Down the road they ran lickety-split, and into his house ran Short Ears just as Mr. Dog came into the yard. Short Ears had no time to lose, I can tell you. He slammed the door, and what do you suppose happened? Bunny Rabbit was so interested in his grandfather's story, he only started. He did not answer at all. So his grandfather went on. Why? Short Ears slammed that door right on his long tail and there he was held fast with his tail hanging outside. Oh, cried Bunny Rabbit, feeling of his stubby little tail, to be sure it was safe behind him. What did poor Short Ears do then? he asked. He could not do a thing, for there was Mr. Dog right in the yard and running straight for the door, said Grandfather Rabbit. Bunny Rabbit sat closer to his grandfather, and his ears grew longer as he listened. Yes, said Grandfather Rabbit. Short Ears was in a bad fix, as you can see. He could not open the door to get his tail out because Mr. Dog would come in and catch him. He did not have long to think about it, for the very next thing he knew, Mr. Dog grabbed at his tail and off it came right up to the door. And off he ran. For you see, he thought he had short ears on the end of the tail and he did not stop to look, he just ran. When his tail broke off, over went Short Ears on the floor, for that set him free. Oh dear, what shall I do, he cried, when he jumped up and looked in the mirror, and saw that his long tail was gone, and all that remained was a little stubby tail, just like yours. 
First, he went into the medicine cabinet and got some salve and a little soft piece of cloth. But he found he could not reach the end of his tail. It was too short. His first thought was to run over to his cousin Rabbit's house not far off. But when he started toward the door, he remembered Mr. Dog. Short Ears leaned his head to the crack in the door and listened hard. His ears were sure to remember, but not so short that he heard Mr. Dog barking. Nearer and nearer came the bark. Short Ears locked the door and ran to the windows and fastened them and drew the shades, and then he ran into the closet and closed the door. Way back he crept under his Sunday clothes, where he was sure no one would find him. And there he sat and listened and listened and listened. Mr. Dog barked and jumped about outside the house, for he was very much upset when he found that he did not have short ears on the end of the tail he carried off. But it was no use. He could not get into short ears' house. And at last he gave it up and ran off home, barking all the way. Short ears listened. And though Mr. Dog's tones grew fainter and fainter, Short Ears was surprised to find he could hear the barking, though it was a long way off. After it was dark, he came out of the closet and crept into his bed without even thinking of the end of his tail. He was so tired and worn out listening. And now, what do you think had happened to him? And what do you think he saw when he looked in the mirror in the morning to brush his hair? Bunny Rabbit shook his head. I don't know, Grandfather, he said. What had happened to Short Ears? His ears had grown long. He listened so hard to the barking of Mr. Dog, said Grandfather Rabbit. And from that day, all of the Rabbit family have had short tails and long ears. Which is just as it should be, for we can hear Mr. Dog a long way off, and we do not have the bother of looking after a long tail when we run to cover. So don't wish to have yours changed again, for you see now that you're better off than poor Short Ears was, don't you? Bunny Rabbit said he did, and that he should never wish for a long tail and Short Ears again. And he didn't. Good night. <laughs>